Let's pray together. Lord, we are honored to be in your presence today. We ask that you would speak now, that we might hear you and act according to your word. Amen. I'd be willing to bet that most Christians in Winona spend more time worrying about what others think of them than what God thinks of them. I wonder even for you this week how much attention you paid to what you would wear to church this morning as opposed to thinking about how prepared your soul was to worship the triune God. Uh, Last chapter in verse 24 in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul told us to clothe ourselves with the new self. That the clothes we need to be worried about are the clothes that that we're wearing on our souls. But I wonder if today you went through the closet and thought about a couple of different things and picked through them, but didn't think much about how your spiritual life had been developing or not this week. This text exposes that for us a little bit by matching fornication and greed together. These are both unholy desires that lead us away from the Lord. Last week we talked about anger, we we talked about theft, we talked about stealing. And these things destroy other people and their property instead of building up, right? It's a, it's a matter of, of destruction rather than building up. And the things that Paul's talking about today are a matter of our own desires. Not our tendency to destroy things or to take things from other people, but the things that drive us that might themselves be unholy. That might even destroy our own souls. That might make others or the goodness of God's creation objects for our use and pleasure and ultimately disposal, but not love or stewardship or care. Last week as we talked about anger, if, if, if someone accused you of being angry, an angry or wrathful person, you might say something like, oh shucks, I have a, I have a little temper problem. And if somebody said, I think maybe you're a little bit greedy, you might say, well, What's wrong with wanting nice things? What's wrong with the finer things? But if someone called you a fornicator, you would say, absolutely not. May it never be. And if it were true, you would be deeply ashamed. In the way that the other two don't bring the same shame. This is because we're more afraid of what others think of us than we are of what God thinks of us. All of these things that that stand read for us today are are framed in light of a positive command. It's important that we not miss the way that this chapter starts. Be imitators of God. As beloved children, live in love. As Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the positive command. And it's the most forceful of the commands that Paul gives. This is what you should be. This is how you should love in the same sacrificial way as Jesus. You ought to offer yourself for the building up of others. That on behalf of others, you should be willing even to give up your own life out of love. 
It's an exceedingly high calling. So as he says, be imitators of God. Be like the God who is holy and perfect in every way. Be like Him. He then says, if you're going to love like Jesus, there are some things that simply cannot any longer be a part of your life. He's already said, stop living like Gentiles. I've reminded you that you are Gentiles, that you were born Gentiles, but in Christ you have become something new. Stop living in anger. Stop living in lies. Stop living by theft. Get honest work. Do it with your hands so that you can be philanthropists generous with others. Not just stop the bad things, but start doing good and loving things. And he gives us this strong command to be imitators of God. And then he starts walking through the ways that if we're going to imitate God, we, we have to leave some things behind. And he names them pretty clearly. He says, you can't go to the brothel anymore if you're going to be a Christian. You can't do it. You, you can't pursue sexual relationships outside of the covenant love of marriage or set your mind on those sorts of things persistently. That's what he calls impurity. Because those things lead you away from the holy desires of the Lord. You can't be driven by these things anymore. You can't participate in them anymore. It should not be a part of your fellowship. And then he says you can't be driven by greed either. You can't be driven by acquiring or using or consuming material things. Whether it's the acquisition and the building up of wealth or whether it's getting enough wealth so you can buy all of the things that you want to enjoy, whatever it is, you can't be driven by greed. And he goes further. He says, in fact, you, you shouldn't even joke about these things. Jokes are funny things. That was a joke. Seriously, though, jokes of a certain sort can be very dangerous because they create this space of serious and not serious where you can explore a conversation and if somebody puts the brakes on, you can honor that and you can say, oh, I was just kidding. And if they don't, you can press a little bit further and explore a little bit further. It's a spirit of I'm joking unless you're serious. If we make light of these things that shouldn't be the attention of those who are in the church, then we're setting our minds, our focus, our attention on the wrong things. We're finding our joy in the wrong places. But it lets us say, something that might be on the edge of inappropriate, and then if someone reacts negatively, you think that's crazy. Oh, I was, I was just kidding. Ha ha, me too. But if it doesn't hit a wall, it leads us to action. It can be true in sexual jokes. It can be true with greed. It can be true in a board meeting where someone proposes something that's not quite appropriate and they want to see how everybody reacts to see if maybe everybody would be on board to making things more profitable but maybe not better or more upstanding. Jokes can lead us into places without us even realizing that we're going there. And these jokes always call our attention to the wrong things. They put our attention on something other than God's extraordinary generosity 
to us. Because instead of making those sorts of jokes, off-color jokes, we should be giving thanks to God for all of the glorious things He has given to us. Paul, as he goes through the list again, goes even further with greed. He says that greed is ultimately idolatry. He says that greed, our, our desire to acquire more, to consume more, is a statement of faith about what can save us, about what can satisfy us, about what can protect us. If we, if we could have enough money in the bank, then we don't have to worry about things any longer. Or if we could have all of the things that we want, we would be satisfied and fulfilled in a way that we no longer need the Lord. This is what greed does to us. And Paul says these things, even greed, which sometimes we joke about and laugh about and say, ah, what's wrong with some nice things? Even greed has no place among the community of faith. As he continues, he says, don't be deceived. Don't fall into the trap of liars, of people who give misinformation. And really, right in this season, we could spend more than a month on this verse. The number of Christians, of people who claim the name of Christ, who are falling prey to misinformation and outright lies, is horrifying and exhausting. And some of us are not only believing them, but we're perpetuating them. We are sharing them as if they are true in a way that is leading other people astray and doing real harm to people. Don't be deceived. When you should be centered on the truth, the greatest truth that the whole universe has to offer, why are you finding yourself believing in and following after lies that cannot save you? Don't be deceived. Don't be greedy. Have no part of fornication or impurity. Don't let those things be a part of your community at all. And then he begins to use language that reminds us of all of the language of the Gospel of John. He says, once you were darkness, it wasn't just that you were Gentiles, you were darkness. And in Christ, you have become light. You are the light of the world. Christ has come into the world to shed all of the darkness away, to press it all out. The darkness can never overcome the light. And you as a community of faith should be focused on everything that is good, everything that is right, and everything that is true. And then he says this, this little verse, it's almost easy to overlook. He says, try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. That's verse 10. Try to find out what pleases God. This is what should drive you, both in exploring what it might be and then in pursuing it with all that you have. This should be the only thing that you're concerned about. Your neighbors, your faithful neighbors, can sometimes help you discern what God expects of you, what God wants of you, what God's judgment is of you. It's not that you should be entirely unconcerned about what your faithful neighbors 
have to say about your life. Sometimes our brothers and sisters in faith need to call us back towards faithfulness, right? But if we're just worried about the societal expectations of our neighbors, what they'll think about whether our clothes match or whether they're on trend or whether we drive the right car or whether we associate with the right people or whether we're on the right side of whatever political issue is bubbling up right now, if their judgment of us is what is driving us, then we have missed the boat altogether. Because it is not our job to figure out what pleases our neighbor. If our neighbor is faithful and helps us figure out what is pleasing to the Lord, that's a different thing entirely. But it is our job to figure out what is pleasing to the Lord and to do it. Once you were darkness, now in Christ you are light. And you can't keep living in the darkness anymore. In fact, Paul says this terrifying thing, more terrifying than the dark, is being ashamed and stepping into the light where people can see you. When somebody comes over to the house and you're in your sleep clothes rather than your public clothes and you still have to go to the door, right? That's terrifying. And Paul says, we need to expose everything that's in the darkness to the light. Not to draw out shame, though shame might be there initially, but because when we step into the light, when we step with all of our lives, with all of its blemishes, with all of its failures, with all of its brokenness, into the light of God, what we find is healing. And what we find is that we become the very light of God. This is why I personally am in a covenant group that meets every Tuesday with other pastors where we share with one another what's going on in our lives and even what we're ashamed of, what we would identify as sin. Because we believe that bringing those things into the light is the only way that we find healing. Is the only way that we move forward. And inasmuch as we keep burying them and hiding them, those things become wounds that get infected and grow and get worse and worse. And inasmuch as we bring these things into the light, God saves us. That's what the church is supposed to be. A hospital for sinners. And it's an invitation to you. It's why I've taken the tone that I've tried to take as I've preached this today is because I don't want to shame you for the ways that you have entered into sin of greed or of sexual sin or of anything else. I want to invite you to lay aside the shame to which you become a slave and to step out into the light of God. To share with a trusted friend, to share with me what it is that you've been struggling with so that we can offer that to God and learn to live in God's light. I would bet all of the money that I have that the most effective testimonies that you have heard in your lifetime have been people who have been willing to share with you honestly and vulnerably what darkness is in their past. And the reason that they can do that is because they have been able to step out into the light and there they have found God's grace and mercy sufficient to heal them and to make them light. This is what the gospel does for every one of us. Is it takes our deepest, most broken places and it turns them into the point of our testimony. 
It turns them into the place where you can see God at work in us. Paul closes this section that we read today with these words. Sleeper, awake. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Charles Wesley preached a sermon on on this verse. He, He read from the older English version that said, Awake thou that sleepest. I kind of prefer that. Awake thou that sleepest. Maybe through the course of the pandemic, maybe through the course of the last few years, you have fallen into a bit of a slumber in your spiritual life. Maybe it's not that you are actively doing all of these other things, these big and juicy sins that people love to gossip about. But maybe you just haven't been seeking out what is pleasing to the Lord and trying to do that in your day-to-day life. Maybe you just need someone to gently nudge you and say, it's time to wake up. It's time to focus again on the things that God has prepared, the good works that God has prepared for you beforehand. And maybe a a gentle nudge is not going to be enough. Maybe you need someone to shout in your ear that it is time to wake up because you are so drowsy and you are so deeply asleep and so content under the covers You are not eager to step out into the light of day. Maybe it's not any deep shame that you're carrying. It's just quiet contentment when you'd like to sleep a little bit longer. Christ wants to shine on you too. Rise from the dead. Awake from your sleep. And Christ's light will shine on you that can heal you, that can make you whole, and that can make you a light to the world. Stop living in the darkness. It's time to wake up and step into the light of Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, You know our apathy. You know our exhaustion. You know our fear. You know our shame. You know our deep sin. For some of us that even persist to today that We hide with all of our might so that others might not know. Forgetting that it's your judgment we should be mindful of. And forgetting that ultimately it's you whom we should seek to please. So we ask, O Lord, that you would give us courage to share the darkness of our souls, to expose it. And to help our neighbors step into the light as well, that they might expose the ways that they have been broken and need your healing. And as we do that, Lord, we pray that You would give us courage and that You'd give us faith to trust that being in the light is better. Even though it's terrifying right now. But to live in the promise of Your light is to find all that we need. Is to find life itself as Your light shines upon us. We long for that light. We long for that light. We long for You to abide in us and us in you, so that we might know what it is to have eternal life in this world and in the world to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.